0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the Breach. On today's episode, we continue the story of the Crossroads 7 and their hotly anticipated concert at the Star Theatre. The stage is set, the lights are lowered, the music is about to begin, and fortune is about to come face to face with despair. I hope you enjoy the conclusion of The Bold and the Desperate, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by the Star Theatre. Join us at the Star for the finest in live entertainment. From the hottest Earthside vaudeville acts, to our own local cabaret dancers. Tonight only, we are proud to feature a performance by Fortune's Favor, formerly known as the Crossroads 7. Don't miss this once in a lifetime show. was her custom, Angelica was watching the show from just off stage. A wave of emotions plunged through her as the music cranked up in volume and speed, burning hatred that could just as easily be mistaken for lust, or envy, or pride. She gritted her teeth, grabbing hold of one of the booms that supported the overhead lighting. She knew heavy magic when she saw it, and doubly knew what she had to do. Angelica tore herself away from the stage, stumbling back to the green room and slamming the door. The music died, cut off by the heavy soundproofing. Just as quickly as those feelings had filled her, they dropped away. "'Well, shit,' she mumbled. "'Someone's going to have to drop the curtain on that.' A blonde woman in overalls opened the other door into the green room, the one that led to the catacombs beneath the stage. Her eyes were wide with fright. "'What the hell is going on out there?' the woman asked. "'We need to find whoever signed this band,' Angelica said. Cherise, spin up the caraphase. The caraphase? The blonde woman seemed surprised at first, but then her training kicked in and she nodded in understanding. How many of them? Angelica was already moving past Cherise, her sequin dress shimmering like a torch in the dim backstage area. All of them. Cherise's eyes widened in surprise. Shouldn't we get Colette? she shouted after the retreating MC. The panic was evident in her voice. Even a single Korofay was a dangerous combatant, and any threat that warranted more than one or two of the clockwork murder machines was more than she could comprehend. Angelica spun around and threw her arms out to her sides as if to ask, "'What do you think I'm doing?' Then she was hurrying forward again, trusting that Charisse would follow her orders and get the Korofays into place. Even if the blonde locked up in fear, Angelica just didn't have time to find someone else. She had to warn Colette while there was still time. The proprietor of the Star Theatre had made certain that the most dependable members of the Guild's train detail were among the audience tonight, ensuring that the night shift would be manned by slackers, idiots, and guardsmen who were on the Arcanist's payroll. With a handful of scrip and a few flirtatious winks, a large shipment of the Union's smuggled soulstones would find itself safely stowed on the train, ready to be shipped back to Earth without the Guild's knowledge. Coletta decided to oversee the delicate operation herself, and had left Angelica in charge of things at the theatre. Reaching the aviary, Angelica threw open the metal door and was greeted with the unblinking gaze of a dozen clockwork doves, all of them lined up neatly in two little rows upon their respective shelves. Despite the dire situation, she smirked when she saw that one of the tiny mechanical birds was wearing a very small top hat. Snatching up the bird, she tapped it twice on its head, indicating that she was about to give it a direct order. Fox is in the henhouse, she said, repeating the code that every showgirl learned in her first week of training. The dove released a tinny coo of understanding, and launched itself into the air, swirling upwards through the covered, chimney-like opening overhead. Angelica sighed in relief. Her respite was short-lived. A crack of thunder sounded in the narrow confines of the theatre, rattling the building and shaking dust from the ceiling. Angelica stared down at the floor, in the direction of the theatre and the commotion. Gunshots rang out. She looked back at the chimney and the fleeing doves. Come on, baby, she whispered. You're needed on the main stage. A wall of sound rolled out across the audience. Everywhere that it touched, every heart that heard it, and every soul that twisted under its influence, chaos followed. Every soul contains the seed of sin, and when drawn to the surface, that seed becomes a monster. The pair in black and red promenaded down the main aisle, arm in arm, like a royal couple greeting their subjects. They watched as the audience surged forward as one. "'trapped in the throes of the band's influence, "'their sins bursting through their skins and wreaking havoc. "'The man in black leaned close to the woman's ear. "'A long time coming,' he whispered. "'All these fortunate souls, each one guided by our hand, "'gifted with our luck, until today, until now.' "'They don't seem so lucky now,' the woman answered. "'Fortune can be a cruel bitch.' He said, leaning in to kiss her cheek and whisper in her ear. She laughed and dug her nails into his wrist. Yes, we can. And now? She twisted her head toward the entrance, a line of worry creasing her forehead. Did you hear that? Is it? The building rumbled, and the wall surrounding the front entrance cracked open. The twin doors burst aside and a woman dressed in green velvet and fury swept through. Show's over, folks, Pandora shouted as she entered. cloak spread wide, one hand holding the box over her head. Everyone back in the box. The couple paused in their procession. Their matching expressions of displeasure and annoyance a sharp contrast to the confusion and fear around them. The man drew a tiny revolver. Silver chased and pearl-handled. He started firing even before the barrel pointed in the direction of his new foe. The bullets whizzed off the walls, ricocheted across the stone floor and dinged off the outstretched knife of a ruffian about to kill. Each shot deflected and flew at Pandora with incredible accuracy, bullets whistling right at her heart. Each slug flattened itself against the wooden side of the box and clattered to the floor. Pandora smiled wide and batted her eyes. Fortune, she purred. You should know better than that. Despair. The man in black holstered the pistol with a flourish, then shoved his hands into the pockets of his suit pants as he began walking casually up the aisle toward the thing that had once been Pandora. Someone finally solved that little puzzle box of yours, hmm? The woman in red veered off in the other direction, putting a crowd of terrified humans between her and the other tyrant. And a never-born host at that. You were always taking the difficult path, weren't you? Dark, sinuous tendrils of shadow began to creep outward from Pandora, as Despair grew more comfortable with its new body. Two hosts, Despair mused its voice tearing deep furrows into the minds of those unfortunate enough to hear it speak. Is that not the dragon's trick? Same old fortune, always stealing from your betters. The faces of both the man and the woman twitched at the same time, but it was the man who spoke. We've come up with a few tricks of our own, he insisted. Want to see. The woman raised her head and gestured to the stage, and the song changed. The bodies of the band twitched and jerked like marionettes. Sloth brought his hand down on the strings of his bass, releasing a deep, reverberating peal. Pride and greed joined him next, adding their own notes, and soon the entire band was playing a strange, lilting song, unlike anything the audience had ever heard. Music and magic flowed from the Seven and into the heads of the audience, smothering their horror and panic in a phantasmagoria of raw sin. Despair wasn't familiar with the song, though it did stir long-forgotten memories of its mortal life, long before it had cast aside its impermanence. Images of easels splashed with blood, and fat black flies trapped in open jars of mixed paint welled up from the past. And with the thought, the tyrant obliterated the stirring memories from its mind. They were a distraction at a time where it most needed to be focused. To Despair's ears, the song was akin to a thousand barbed threads, each of them winding its way into the minds and souls of the humans around them. Some of the barbs were of shades and hues well known to its palette. The poisonous emerald of jealousy, the prickly maroon of anger, the dirty grey of apathy. But others consisted of colours that Despair had not employed in countless centuries. Here and there, Despair thought it could see images taking form, among the weaving threads, only to break apart and reform as the band lurched into a new verse. In a flash of insight, Despair realized the full extent of its fellow tyrant's plan. Fortune had filled the performance hall with humans of extraordinary luck, some of it natural, some of it carefully cultivated by the tyrant across a decade of subtle maneuvering and manipulation. The humans had been force-fed a steady diet of favorable coincidences and lucky breaks and now their hidden luck intended to slaughter them and reap the rewards. The only flaw was that Fortune had, for reasons Despair could not fathom to guess, built its plan atop the backs of a handful of mortals. Intending to overwhelm the band with self-destructive urges, and bring the performance and Fortune's hope of ascension to an abrupt end, Despair lifted its arm, only to find a dozen coloured threads woven through its skin. The bars tightened as the song's tempo increased, and more memories bloomed in the tyrant's mind. A shattered statue, broken masks, delicate fingers carefully smearing foul paint onto scarred flesh. The man in black had closed the distance between them. Reaching out, he took Pandora's chin in his hands and smirked. Despair's gaze was distant and the mouth of its host moved up and down as she silently mouthed the words to the abhorrent song that swirled through the theatre. "'You always underestimated the value of luck,' the man in black whispered as he leaned forward, his voice like poison in her ear. "'Did you think me foolish enough that I wouldn't prepare for one of our peers showing up?' Across the room, the woman in red watched with amusement as the humans around her gave in to their base impulses. Some grabbed weapons and began to stab and bludgeon those sitting next to them, while others ripped at their clothing and embraced in desperate need. The woman nearest her, trapped between two different melodies, had ripped jewelled necklaces from the necks of the women around her and was trying to swallow the strings of pearls and diamonds before their former owners could claw them away. No matter their obsession, however they all gave the couple a wide berth without truly understanding why. The man in black stepped back from despair, and motioned to it with his hand. Heeding his silent command, one of the patrons, his suit torn and bloodied, cautiously approached the slack-jawed tyrant. He was brandishing part of a broken armrest like a crude club, its end smeared with gore and clumps of blood-matted hair. On stage... Their vocalist screamed incoherent words into the twisting tapestry of the song. And with a matching scream, the man swung his club at despair, catching the day's tyrant right in the side of the head. Pandora's body crumpled to the ground as the club came down again and again, cracking bones with each brutal strike. Gradually, Pandora became aware of darkness and agony. Her entire body ached and her right arm and leg were bonfires of pain. Briefly, she wondered if she was dead, or even undead. But then she tried to breathe, and was rewarded with pain the likes of which she had never known. She nearly blacked out right there and then, but one thought kept her tenuous grip on consciousness intact. Dead people don't breathe. Slowly, she forced her eyes open. Slowly, she forced her eyes open. She was on the ground, staring up at the intricately painted ceiling of the star theatre. People were moving around her, but something was wrong. She couldn't hear them moving, or rather their shouts and screams were muffled by the loud ringing sound in her ears. She tried to turn her head, but pain seared its way through her skull. Groaning, it came out as little more than a wheeze, Pandora tried to sit up, but something weighed down her right arm. Another wave of pain roared through her as she turned her head. And after the blurriness of her vision cleared, the shape of the tuxedo-clad man swam into focus. He was... kissing her hand? A torrent of agony roared through her arm as he pulled back and slurped down the flesh he had torn away. He was eating her. Using her good arm, Pandora motioned toward the man, sending barbs into his mind and turning his hunger inward. Without missing a beat, the man tumbled backward and started gnawing on his own fingers. Freed of his weight, Pandora was able to push herself into a sitting position and look around, taking stock of her surroundings. Everything was in chaos. The patrons of the Star Theatre, those that were still alive at least, had lost their minds. Some were looting purses and wallets. Others were standing atop their seats and boasting loudly about their accomplishments, and still more had chucked their clothes entirely and given in to their most base hedonistic impulses. The most impressive and terrifying sight was reserved for the stage, however. A swirling mass of bright crimson and dark black energy was buoying a man and a woman dressed in similar colors toward the ceiling, It was the same sort of energy that she herself had once wielded, back when such a thing had still been possible. Eyes locked on the column of energy, Pandora winced as she forced her ruined arm into her pocket. Fingers stripped of flesh closed around the warm soul stones that she kept there, and with the thought, she willed the energy into herself. Fractured bones fused back together, and flesh knitted itself over healing muscle, as the energy flowed out of the soul and across her body, repairing her injuries. As the healing surge flowed through her head, she winced at the unpleasant sensation of her skull shifting back into place. And then the ringing disappeared, allowing the full force of the band's music to wash over her. It hit her in waves. An intense surge of self-confidence, as she realized she'd narrowly avoided death using only her magical talents a desperate sense of longing for the spiritual power being channeled by the couple on the stage and the realization that she was powerless in the face of such power and that she should just give up now. Pride, envy, sloth. But none of these held sway over her soul. She shoved them aside and stood up. She held out her hand and the box mystically reformed in her palm. The chaos of the theater surged around her She tilted her head toward the stage. Fortune was clambering over the choir lights to join the band. That's enough, Pandora said, striding forward. You've had your fun, Fortune. My turn. A clear, feminine voice, well accustomed to projecting to the back seats, cut through the music like a knife. Time for your curtain call. A few of the band members looked upward just in time to see the velvet curtain suspended above loosen, then snap free. Surprise wrenched them out of their trance, and a moment later, the music grinded to a halt as the heavy curtain crashed down onto them. The moment the music ceased, the frenzied actions of the enthralled crowd came to a halt. Men in gore-splattered tuxedos stared down at their bloody hands in horror, while women in tattered dresses fell to the ground and began vomiting up chunks of their fellow patrons. Some frantically snatched at whatever clothing was nearby to cover their naked bodies, while others collapsed to the ground and began screaming as the pain of their numerous injuries finally caught up with them. High above the stage in the catwalks, Colette Dubois tossed aside the sword she'd used to sever the curtain's counterweight and snapped her fingers. She exploded into a cloud of glitter and blue smoke, only to reappear center stage, Amidst a burst of doves, though not dressed in her typical stage costume, she is wearing workman's pants, a common white shirt, a heavy cloak trimmed with hawkat fur, and matching earmuffs. Colette remained a sight to behold. The illusionist pointed a delicate finger at the swirling mass of black and red energy gathered at the stage's edge. I don't have the faintest idea what the hell you are, but I'm going to have to ask you to leave my theater. The figures floating in the column of twisting energy whipped around to face Colette, and descended to the stage. At first they appeared to be human, but there was something else superimposed over the top of them. A hideous creature with six limbs and a face that resembled a theatre mask, half in crimson and the other in black. "'We do not have time for this interruption,' the thing replied, its twin voices spilling from the mouths of both the man in black and the woman in red." Our ascension is nigh. Colette tapped her earmuffs. I'm sorry I didn't catch that. I'll assume it was something clever. The woman in red made a swiping motion toward Colette, and the spectral thing possessing her mimicked the gesture. A massive claw of boiling red-black energy slashed into the magician and passed right through her as the image shattered like a mirror. Colette reappeared standing atop the edge of the balcony across the theatre, but before she could get her bearings, the man in black raised his hand and snapped his fingers. With a groan, the balcony lurched under Colette's feet and sent her and the dozens of confused patrons still in the balcony tumbling toward the seats below. Colette shouted in surprise and twisted her fingers, intending to teleport herself and the other patrons to safety, but the magic slipped away from her grasp like oil. Across the room... The woman in red watched with pleasure as the annoying illusionist disappeared into a tremendous crash of sound and dust. With that problem dealt with, the tyrant turned its dual attention back to the band. Play. Play until you die, if need be. But play. We're trying, came Greed's reply from underneath the curtain. The band was struggling to free itself from the heavy curtain, but it was a time-consuming task. The tyrant's attention was drawn away from the band by a light-hearted voice. Excuse me? The couple turned in a single motion, mirrors of each other, and stared down into the desolation of the seating area. Pandora was standing there, her green riding cloak just as disheveled as her red hair. She was clutching a puzzle box in her hands, and smiling in a way that even the tyrants found disturbing. The man and the woman sneered in unison, It is too late, Despair. We have never been stronger. Pandora's mouth curled into an O-shape. Oh, I'm sorry. Despair isn't here right now. Let me see if I can find it. She raised her puzzle box and slid the top open. Sickly green light emanated from the box, the only warning before dozens of screaming phantasms spilled forth from the vessel in search of prey the patrons closest to Pandora fell beneath the woes like a thick mist overtaking a sleepy town. Some of the spectral creatures wrapped long, desiccated fingers around their victims' throats, choking the life from them. Others tore into the crowd, ignoring the frantic flailing of the helpless patrons as they passed through their spectral forms. The majority of the spectral horrors, however, swarmed forward toward the twinned tyrant on the stage as Pandora offered it a cold, cruel smile. As fortune fought off the wave of spectral woes that swirled around the tyrant, Pandora felt a familiar presence swelling up inside her, as if awakening from a long sleep. Her initial reaction was panic, but the presence devoured the emotion before it could overwhelm her. You are mine. No, she shouted, and threw the puzzle box across the room. It shattered on the wall and then she was holding it again and staring down into its bottomless depths. What had she been doing? She craned her neck upward, toward the towering creature of swirling red and black energy. Our enemy. Pandora cocked her head to one side as she watched the fight. Two hosts, she murmured, her mind working its way down a crooked path. She could feel another entity following her train of thought though every time she started to become distracted by its presence, it wiped away that part of her thoughts, pushing her forward. Oh. Her eyes widened as it came to her. Oh. The horrible thing that was twisted around her soul reveled in her idea as it colluded with her on the plan, and gradually her smile returned. Reaching out toward the man in black, she wrapped her magic around him, sending barbs of darkness into his mind. At first it was like trying to whip a brick wall with barbed wire, but then the creature within her pushed outward, feeding more and more of its power into her magic. Sensing the assault upon his mind, the man in black turned his head to look at her. She and despair both poured everything they had into the tyrant's vast mind, overwhelming it with grief, sorrow, and every self-destructive impulse they could dredge up from the shattered depths of their damaged psyches. The will of a tyrant was far beyond that of a mortal man, however, and Pandora could feel the man in black stealing himself against her power. The cyclone of energy swirling around the couple darkened to black, as fortune poured more of its power into him, bolstering his defense to protect him from harm. The man's lips pulled back in a wild, inhuman snarl as he raised his hand and prepared to scour Pandora from the world with a fatal blast of bad luck. A feral scream escaped Pandora's lips, as despair sacrificed the vital portion of its power, flooding Pandora with more energy than she'd ever wielded before. That energy surged outward from her and entered the man in black, just enough to thread a singular self-destructive impulse into his mind. Fortune had been expecting this, and it wrapped its considerable power around him, protecting its host from whatever he might do to himself. As the man in black succumbed to her influence and twisted his powers upon himself, Pandora twisted her hand and turned his attention toward his counterpart, the woman in red, who was still preoccupied with her woes. By binding itself to two separate hosts, Fortune had woven the man and woman together and made them one. With a roar of self-hatred, the man in black released the dark magics he had gathered, not at his physical body but at the other part of himself, at the woman in red. Fortune saw the trap a fraction of an instant too late. The black aura that surrounded its hosts flared up in bright crimson as the burst of bad luck struck the woman, triggering dozens of possible but highly improbable events all at once. Dozens of embolisms formed in her brain as she stumbled backward and fell through a weak part of the stage into the substructure dozens of feet below. A massive spectral claw of crimson energy lunged for her, but she twisted as she fell, unbelievably slipping just between the tyrant's fingers to slam onto the cold stone floor below. Infused as she was with the power of a tyrant, she could have survived the fall without incident had she not landed just so and snapped her neck with a loud crunch. No! The spectral tyrant's scream shook the walls of the star theatre as it flailed at the soul of its host, trying to force it back into the woman's body and resurrect her. But she had landed right next to the sack of soul stones that Colette had brought with her in her desperate return to the theatre. The dozens of gemstones absorbed not just her power, but large swaths of the tyrant's own power which it had bound to her. A lesser soulstone would never have been able to contain such energy, but by some twist of bad fortune, the ones in the sack were all of the highest quality, each one a small fortune in its own right. The man in black collapsed to his knees at the edge of the hole in the stage floor, his hand shaking in horror at what he had done. He could feel a portion of fortune's essence, leaving him as it was pulled into the soulstone's and though he still retained his power, the tyrant was reeling from its loss. Fortune's strength had always come from the dichotomy of its twin selves. The interplay between good luck and bad, and now half of its power, half of himself, had been ripped away and trapped. Fortune was seething, and his head snapped back up as he fixed his gaze on Pandora. The aura surrounding him was entirely black now, and his eyes had changed to match. No, no, I will not be imprisoned again. He raised an arm, swatting away the woes swirling around him with a blast of black energy. Pandora strode toward the stage, the puzzle box held in her hand. Sure about that. There was no confidence in her eyes, only unyielding hopelessness and emptiness. The man in black felt a tug toward her, and fortune reared back in horror. It tried to force its host to flee, to escape, to run away and hide while it rebuilt its power. But the man only took a single step back from the never-born woman. Twisting its attention inward, the tyrant found that its host had been overwhelmed by black barbs. Then it heard the sound. It was a single note played over and over again in a steady rhythm. Fortune followed the sound, and found one of the band members, Sloth, standing beside the fallen curtain. He was playing a single note on his bass guitar, and the other members of the band were behind him, watching the confrontation's final moments. No offense, came the bass player's slow drawl but I think I speak for the whole band when I say you've been a shitty manager. Fortune screeched in anger and tried to force the man in black to lash out against Pandora, to obliterate Despair's host while the other tyrant was weakened from its attack, but it was like trying to control a puppet that was underwater. By the time that the man had raised his hand, Pandora was already at his side, the box in her hand. Fortune felt the tug again, stronger than before. It could feel its essence being pulled into the ancient trap. And there, at the puzzle box's center, was the coiled darkness of screaming faces and sinister intent. Jaws reached up toward Fortune, and then it was no more. Pandora snapped the lid of the box shut. Up on the stage the band members all slumped as a portion of the power infusing them disappeared. The woes swirling overhead, sensing their master's success, began to disperse in search of more victims. The band exchanged uneasy looks as Pandora watched them and affectionately stroked her puzzle box. Sloth ceased playing his instrument and looked up at the Neverborn woman, Uncaring whether or not she decided to destroy them as well. Instead, Pandora merely frowned. I'm not fond of your music, she said, before turning around and hopping down off the stage. Learn some better songs. The massacre at the Star Theatre was still hot news, even weeks later. The survivors that still had their wits about them tried to describe the red-haired monster that sparked the whole thing. But the only thing they could really remember was her hair, and her eyes, and the devastation that she had left in her wake. Colette Dubois gave a sympathetic interview to the Malifaux Tatler, in which she expressed her deepest sorrow that the Star Theatre had been the target of a never-born attack. Though her initial interview was very critical of the Guild and how it had failed to protect the honest, hard-working citizens of the city from the predation of the monstrous natives of Malafo. A bit of creative editing had twisted the story into a condemnation of the Neverborn in general, and a call for increased patrols from the hard-working Guild Guard. Different versions of the story ran on the front page of the Tatler for three days. Right alongside an article, that explained how the Guild's creation of its new Frontier Division, would allow the guild guard to focus their efforts upon the protection of Malifaux City. Angelica sighed as she threw the paper down on the stage. She was sitting on the edge next to Colette as the two of them watched the construction workers slowly tear apart the collapsed balcony and carry the debris out to the street. "'Honestly, I don't know why you even bothered to give them an interview in the first place.' Colette continued to bob her finger in front of the clockwork dove that was resting on her wrist, it chirped in a different key with each dip. It's good publicity. Everyone wants to know what happened, and if the Guild thinks that things have been handled, they won't look into things any further. More sleight of hand, Angelica replied, smiling as she shook her head. Did you figure out what you wanted to do with the soul stones, the ones from the basement? I gave them to the Kyrus. Catching the look that Angelica shot her, Colette raised her finger, prompting the dove to chirp out a sharp, piercing note. Don't start. We can't have those things lying around the theater, and I'm not comfortable using them. Caris and her... Arsonists, Angelica offered. Associates, Colette continued with a smirk. are better equipped than us to dispose of the stones. She turned her attention back to the mechanical dove. Besides... This way I don't have to get her a birthday present this year. She's so hard to shop for. Angelica rolled her eyes, pushed off from the stage, and went to help the workers tear apart the rest of the balcony. Standing in front of a boutique shop window, its display half-hidden by muted shop lights and shadow, was Pandora. Her fingers twiddled with the tears in her clothes, as she stared at a mannequin in a long black dress. As she focused on the subtle details—the red thread, the hand-secured obsidian beads, the endlessly looping embroidery—her hand found its way to the box's lid, cracking it open with an absent-minded flick of her thumb. "'Now that's a bold look!' two voices immediately spoke from the box. "'With that gorgeous red hair, I'm starting to think that black is your color,' Maybe we should talk a As if from a daydream, Pandora woke up and closed the lid. She sighed, pushed her hair away from her eyes, and walked away from the boutique window. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.